Welcome to the Chopping Wood Inside podcast, the Twin Peaks podcast for conspiracy theorists and aficionados. I am your host, Murphy, Tom, Tom, Judy, Judy, you are you repeating bits already, buddy? I think you've heard this down before. <laughs> it never gets old. We finally got Judy after 25 years, almost to the day, Fire Walk With Me was released on August 28th, 1992. We saw it twice during the same day. Judy was referenced in that film and here we had to wait 25 plus years for the new series or almost 25 years and we had to wait 15 episodes into the new series to finally get a reference to judy so i'm milking this baby milking oh, all yeah. of judy you've been waiting all season for this too i mean so finally we finally you've been dropping judy <laughs> since like episode one our very first podcast i think so i bet you feel a lot of gratification to know that this is actually it wasn't just a bunch of bullshit because i think actually one of the earlier pod maybe just a podcast or two ago i was trying to argue that the key scene and that david Bowie fired walk with me jeffrey's uh, interlude was the fact that you know cooper was revealed to be a doppel and you were like no it's about judy I guess you're well, right. we did get the two. We had the uh, Cole's dream, which focused in on who do you think this is there and who is the dreamer and them trying to recall or they had seemingly forgotten both Cole and Albert about uh, Bowie's uh, Jeffrey's uh, mention of that to Cooper. Who do you think this is there? And then the next episode, when Mr. C goes to visit Jeffrey's, then he talks about Judy. Like, you know, you, you don't want to talk about Judy. Who is Judy? What is Judy? Does Judy want something from me? So that was really the crux of that scene, in my opinion. And I want to ask you, do you think the whole, maybe the sole reason for Mr. C's journey above the convenience store to visit Jeffrey's was to find out specifically about Judy? Uh, well, we obviously didn't know his motives because he's a very tight-lipped fellow. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think obviously that's the one question he went in there and asked. He obviously wanted to know about if he was the one calling him, you know, five days ago. So that was the other issue on his talking points. But yeah, I'd say that's what he was there for, which is the bombshell because it hasn't been mentioned at all, you know. So I have no idea. I mean, is Judy is, or is the mother and Judy the same thing? He's been looking for the mother presumably the whole time. Is Judy and the mother one and the same? Oh, I don't think so. No, I think Judy is, uh, he said... So why does he now search for Judy? He's been searching for mother the whole time now. Why Judy? Well, we don't know. I mean, obviously, we we uh, think that whoever that whatever that symbol is on the playing card resembles the experiment that we saw both in the glass box um, on, on Hawk's living map and in part eight um, when it was uh, you know, spewing, you know, all those uh, evil eggs. So we think that's what Mr. C's endgame uh, is to be reunited somehow with the experiment um, and it correlating with the coordinates that he's been looking for. But this is a new curveball, or this is a curveball that's been tossed into Mr. C's narrative about Judy and him seeming seemingly so vulnerable in that scene for the first time. It was a different expression, a different Mr. C. And I, I think you posited that maybe... Bob isn't with him because Bob within Mr. C probably wouldn't have handled that conversation with Jeffries um, the way that, you know, it unfolded. But I still think uh, Bob is still in Mr. C. Yeah, I think you're the only one on the island for that, buddy. I think everybody else in the Twitter world thinks that Bob is on the loose. But there's re I think that's the point of this is that Lynch and Frost don't want they don't want us to know. This is going to be the big reveal. I think he's going to pop up like the boogeyman somewhere and it's going to totally freak us out. It's going to be totally unexpected. Um, so... I don't know, but that was a good. I mean, I definitely think that Bob would have shown up because it seems like that the the convenience store was like created just for to conjure Bob, and it's like his roving TARDIS, like party palace, like you know clubhouse for the and you know hangout that can move around. It seems like it's it's Bob's pad. You know, if he was Bob, I thought he would show a little of his real face. Well, that that whole scene, the, yeah, the above the convenience store scene is not, in my opinion, the Black Lodge. It's a different 
um, location. I think it's tied into um, Jeffrey's line in Firewalk with me, we live inside a dream. Because when Mr. C uh, ascended the staircase with the woodsmen to um, or above the convenience store, they they faded out, they disappeared. And I think they went into this dream realm, this dream world, and then into the room, which was very similar to Laura's painting. And then it went on this labyrinthian uh, journey, which led to Jeffrey's, which was the same location of uh, the motel in Firewalk With Me, where Leland was going to have a threesome with uh, Renette and Laura before he chickened out. So I don't think it's related to the Black Lodge. I think it is exactly that scene that we saw in Firewalk With Me. Jeffrey's talking about seeing one of their meetings. It's that location. We saw that woodsman um, with the, uh, I think it's a, uh, it's not a TV, it's a radio or like a, I don't know if it's a phonograph or it's, it's like a, a record player, a yeah. record player, basically from like, you know, probably the forties or whatever. It mimics almost exactly that, um, that scene of, of the woodsman played by Jurgen Prock now, uh, in fire walk with me. So I think that that's, that's the same location. And, uh, what I want to know is the, the scene of the zone in Buckhorn, when Cole almost went into the zone, he was taken or he saw that that location. It was that staircase that, you know, was in the above the convenience store scene. And I don't think that was the same location that Briggs was hiding out or hibernating. I think that maybe the woodsmen, the others that Hastings mentioned, somehow corrupted that place, maybe like a cancer. Maybe that's what the giant is, or the fireman is referring to with, it is in our house now that these vortexes, whether it's Buckhorn, uh, the above the convenience store, which I don't think is a vortex, but maybe other vortexes, other portals are being slowly eaten away or, or overtaken by the darkness represented by the woodsman. Yeah. It's like a forest fire of evil and the fireman's there to put them out. So I think, I think it's totally true. I think all the port, the good portals are being taken over. I think the one in the, the zone was a good portal until these fuckers showed up. So it almost seems like, it seems almost like a, the question of it going into the convenience store, like, was that really like an entry point to that real motel that was in Firewalk with me? Or was it like a replication in the lodge or in the convenience store of that place? Yeah, I think it was a replication. I don't think it was a, a real location that he went to. I think it was still part of that dream uh, construct. And it opens up um, some possibilities there. Why that particular location? Is it tied to that location seen in Fire Walk With Me, which um, we saw Leland, obviously, with Laura Burnett and Teresa Banks. So is there some kind of connection between the, uh, I think it's the Red Diamond Motel and the above the convenience store scene. Now, I thought watching it again that the whole journey of Mr. C to go actually see Mr. C, it kind of felt like Jeffries is imprisoned in this location or this dream. And uh, the woodsmen are like the guards of this, you know, otherworldly prison. Did you get that sense at all or... Well, we talked. You actually mentioned that, and yeah, I thought the opposite. I thought that he was like a he was kind of like uh, uh, like Tarzan who got adopted by the monkeys, and you know, and he was like a king like within their world. So they were doing his bidding; they were protecting him, and maybe people wanted to kill him. But I think actually someone I don't know who it was said on Twitter that maybe it was like a retirement home for like <laughs> old like lodge members because it does seem like he's kind of chilling there. He's old. Like I wonder if David Bowie was alive if he would have had been like really old and fucked up looking in some. You know, retirement home, kind of like Andy Garcia and Dead Again, if you ever saw that movie, like from the 90s. Or uh, I think I saw <laughs> that with him? you, my friend. We saw that <laughs> opening weekend. We always laughed at Andy Garcia when he was really old. Like, anyway, so, uh, yeah, I think that's an interesting concept. I mean, I think he actually um, was let in. Like, I think that if he was being a prisoner, they wouldn't have allowed him in and to see his buddy and been so, they were pretty nice to him. They didn't try to attack him or kill him or... Well, they're, they're the woodsmen aren't going to attack Mr. C. Yeah, they the actually... The lady, the bosomy woman was civil. She was civil. Well, we don't know who that, you know, we didn't talk about that in the last, last podcast. I loved how the, the episode ended with the transition from the roadhouse to that location and the bosomy woman seen in the background, just standing like in the darkness and the, the music or the sound, uh, but slowly dissipated and we're just left with ambient sound. And then this woman, I don't know if she's like a guardian of some, sword or I don't know what she represents, but it was a great, 
great uh, ominous feeling and I think a great ending to part 15, which was a fantastic episode. Uh, yeah, now, could you like not really see her head? Like when she was kind of hot, she looked like a, a post, like a post in the garage or wherever she was hiding out. She kind of chameleoned into the background there. It was pretty creepy. I mean, but um, maybe she's low stuffy. I don't know. I don't know what she is, but uh, she's speaking backwards. She's very compelling. Everybody's, now I think a lot of people don't realize that she's, uh, you know, played by a man. Like I think a lot of people still think she's a woman, but um, yeah, yeah. Where do you want to go now? No, I want to <laughs> focus. Well, we're going to, we're going to go into part 16, which is entitled No Knock, No no Doorbell, I'm at some point, but I really want to discuss some of these scenes from part 15, because I think they're relevant to what we're going to see in the next three hours, because we're finally starting to converge on Twin Peaks. I think that Mr. C's narrative is slowly coalescing. Um, but I think that the key for part 15 was that whole set piece with Mr. C going to the convenience store, being led to Jeffrey's and their dialogue and the ultimate mention of Judy and what that means. And then finally, uh, the appearance of little Dickie Horn and uh, Audrey's narrative somehow converging with Mr. C and what that might mean. So I'd like to talk a little bit about this and we'll talk about some other developments before we go into part 16, but more so on the the Jeffrey's thing. What One of the things that I thought about with that particular character, since he was just really just in Firewalk with me for that that one scene, it was really just so mysterious. But we never got any resolution with Chet Desmond. Now, the difference between the actors who played Chet Desmond and Philip Jeffries, David Bowie and Chris Isaac, is that Chris Isaac is still with us. David Bowie, unfortunately, passed during production, pretty early on in production. And I think they probably knew, Lynch and Frost, that since... Uh, Jeffries was going to be a part of the story that they reached out, and I would assume that they got uh, an answer from from Bowie or Bowie's people that he would not be able to participate, and they reworked the narrative a little bit. I think that I I would believe that the original idea of Jeffries, if it was he was only to have this one scene in this motel room with Mister C, that. David Bowie would have been in this scene if he was not sick. But since he was, and they had to change it up on the fly like they did with the little man, uh, the man from another place who re- refused to sign a contract and the evolution of the arm came to be, the, the uh, necessity is the mother of invention. I thought maybe why not throw in the Chet Desmond character because his storyline could have certainly mimicked what Jeffries was going through, or at least maybe combine it and maybe get uh, Chris Isaac involved and another FBI agent who was also on the Blue Rose Task Force. So I'm not saying that, you know, that was the way they should have gone, but I would have liked to have seen it. (laughs) See, I love David Bowie. Like, fuck fuck Chris Isaac. (laughs) I like Chris Isaac. He's fine. He's a fine actor, fine man, but he doesn't uh, hold a candle to Bowie, especially since he died and the mystique of Bowie and Philip Jeffries. Um, That's what I wanted to know about personally. And it still goes back to my theory, like, Dude, that one scene in Firewalk with me when he walks in there, that's like the key to the whole entire series. So I still don't understand it. But going into the whole Dreamer and the Tulpas and all the everything, it seems like that he's really mined that one scene for so much uh, of the, the essential, you know, themes of this story, it seems like. And we still aren't fi- finished figuring out what it means. Well, I think that originally Lynch envisioned at least two other films after Firewalk with me, a trilogy. And there's been some rumors, you know, online that the storyline, at least some of the the story would have, um, would have uh, featured the Bowie character and that narrative. And I think what happened was when Lynch and Frost uh, decided to do another season that Lynch picked up kind of where he left off 25, uh, 25 years prior and incorporated that into this story because it's such a huge part of the the Mr. C narrative, Jeffries, but it's still so mysterious, which is, you know, par for, for, for Lynch. But I want to know specifically what you think about the actual representation of Jeffries in, because I'm assuming he's his spirit or you know whatever he represents is within that bell-like structure, which is in that motel room, which certainly that room looked like 
almost exactly like the purple room and that bell-like structure we've seen that a couple of times on top of that room with naido and cooper and in the giant's domain which it's it acted like an alarm signifying the atomic test which led to the, the giant slash fireman to uh, create laura palmer his or her essence so what do you think about that particular uh structure does it remind it reminds me of like a liberty bell that just always been fascinated with philadelphia and obviously we know what the liberty bell is is you know, uh, represents so much of, of the history of Philadelphia. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I think it ties into the White Lodge. And that's what, like, we obviously understand that the convenience store is not a part of the Black Lodge. So then you can say, all right, well, Philip Jeffries is not in the Black Lodge. <laughs> you know, he's done a lot of time traveling. He's gone to different planes of reality. He may have uh, visited at the convenience store, had some meetings with some Black Lodge members who were there. But uh, I think it's possible that he's been, uh, you know, either in, in cahoots with the White Lodge or he's got some White Lodge connections uh, and he's allowed to hang out in kind of at the convenience store. And because I think maybe he might be helping somehow, like. Uh, you know, the fireman or the one armed man to try to get rid of Mr. C. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm or, uh, he's just a red herring dude. And it's all like Albert, like, he's been like trying to pretend to be Mr. C. And he's got some, or pretending to be Jeffries. And he's got some diabolical plan. Um, cause a lot of that was like, he seemed like he was an old dude who didn't have anything to do with the, this whole fucking thing. He was like, what? <laughs> like, it seemed like he was just like, that was the, the, the meaning of that. Uh, he gave the number of Judy, which is in Twin Peaks. And, but it, the rest of it, he said he had nothing to do with it, that whole call and all that shit. So, that implies that maybe there's someone out there, you know, pretending to be him. And I don't know why, but maybe it is Albert Bell, the old theory I had from episode two. Well, no, I think you might be right with that. But if, if he was, if Jeffries is on the side of the firemen or Briggs, the White Lodge, what have you, then that would, I would think, uh, kind of go to my theory that he's being imprisoned there by the woodsman because that, that place, that location is not a representation of good uh, or the White Lodge or Briggs or the firemen. And maybe that's what it is, because I don't think Mr. Jeffries, I think Jeffries very well may be trying to stop Mr. C, but I don't think he was that voice in part two that said that uh, he will be with Bob again and we met in New York. I think that is someone um, acting like Philip Jeffries. And if there's anyone in this narrative so far then it goes back. You said this way, way, way back. It very well might be Albert. I think it's got to be someone on the Blue Rose Task Force. It's either Albert or Diane, but I don't think it was Diane on that uh, tape. Yeah, unless they're going to introduce a completely new character. Not no, this. I don't think that's nah, not this late in the game, yeah. man. I mean, isn't it insane? That we've been speculating about that the entire series. We still know who made that call. Well, what's it? <laughs> and who, who are the two people involved with that call? Because <laughs> someone took the phone, just like the old "The Lost Highway, Mr. Eddie" there, whatever that scene that you the yeah. Right. And uh, so there's two people that are that are impersonating Philip Jeffries. Well, but someone was communicating what? with Ray all along, and in the uh, Yankton Federal Prison, someone acting as a guard, possessing a guard, some you know, a guard had the ring, the owl cave ring and gave it to Ray and his instructions were to kill Mr. C and put it on his ring or put it on his finger. So, I don't think that was Jeffries. I mean, Jeffries played dumb. What? I mean, you know, I called Ray, but uh he didn't go any further with it. I think that Mike, the one-armed man, is somehow involved in this uh, narrative with trying to get Mr. C back to the Black Lodge. Maybe wanting to be with Bob again. Maybe it's not wanting to be with Bob again, like like the host parasite dynamic with Leland and Bob, but just getting Bob back into the Black Lodge, you know, and not necessarily for good, but returning so Cooper can return to being Agent Cooper. Because obviously the one our man's been helping Agent Cooper. The real like monkey wrench in that whole scenario is the evolution of the arm and what role um, he or it is playing because that scene in part two where Cooper was trying to get out of the lodge and had instructions first from Laura and then from the one-armed man, but then all hell broke loose. It seemed like the one pulling the strings at that point was the evolution of the arm. So that is really, for me, that's that's another big mystery of what uh, he represents, or like I said, it. And then also in part seven where it showed up, it said, squeeze his hand, squeeze his hand. That, that was like helpful to Cooper. At that point. So I don't know what the hell to think about, you know, uh, his motive or its motive. 
Yeah, it seems like anybody that shows up at the convenience store has got a, uh, you know, dark side, <laughs> to say the least. And so they're all like their own little demons. I would think that, you know what I'm saying? They've all got their own. Uh, we're getting to meet so many of them and see them, how they're, you know, the woodsmen, all their, what they're all about. And now we're getting into the jumping man and the fucking mother and all that, you know. So we're seeing all these different types of demons that hang out at the convenience store. Uh, they've all got different rules. Uh, the only one that seems to be good is, uh, is the giant. He doesn't hang out there. So uh, do you think that Mr. Uh, Jeffrey's? could be tricking or setting a trap up for Mr. C because the number or the numbers he gave Mr. C are, it looks like the same numbers that were on Ruth Davenport's arm, the coordinates, which lead to Twin Peaks. Now, Mr. C wrote that down. He's already got the coordinates from Ray. So if Jeffries is saying Judy is at this location and that location is Twin Peaks, and Mr. C is already going there. Now, that could be just confirmation. But is that potentially a setup for Mr. C? And that if that, that would go into your theory that Jeffries is still like, you know, or is on the side of, of, of Team White Lodge. Yeah, I mean, I think they're trying to get him there for some reason. But I, I, I don't know. I don't know what Philip Jeffries' role is. I think we're not going to see him again somehow. I agree. But – uh you know, it's almost like he's been, he just got confirmation. Why did he even write those numbers down? All he had to do is look at the coordinates and go, yep, those are the same fucking coordinates I've already been. Because he hadn't he already got the coordinates? Yeah, he does. He got them from Ray. Yeah. So anyway, so it's just leading. He's got to be going to Twin Peaks next. That's one thing. But uh, I just want to say Valhalla to Philip Jeffries. I think he's a great, this is a great, and like, I think someone, I don't know who would have, someone on Twitter also said like it was his last incarnation. You know, he did all these Ziggy Stardust and the Thin White Duke and all this shit. This was his last incarnation. And uh Boy, I really enjoyed it. So, but I do, uh, do you think he's going to come back? No, no. I think that's it for Philip Jeffries. Yeah, I think that. I think it, did, it played up into or played up the, um, the the great scene. It was played up where Mr. C would have this visit in this surreal location with Philip Jeffries. And if Bowie was still alive, I, I could see that scene unfolding with Jeffries and his bad Southern accent in that room. And it would have been just incredible. Obviously, he was unable to um to be in in the new series but what lynch did was you know brilliant to create you know the to create jeffries the way that he did so i think that was the climax of jeffries now we might get maybe another reference to jeffries because whoever was on that phone call in part two whoever is sending text messages to diane we think now it's mr c but there might be another uh, person in play there, but like I said, that the the Blue Rose Task Force, like I think Albert is playing a, a huge role in this. But I don't think we're going to see Bowie again. I think Jeffries that that was it. That seemed like kind of a a nice little climax where he was you know on top of like Mr. C. He was the one who was even Bob within Mr. C. This this omniscient, the seemingly omniscient, powerful arm wrestling over the top, you know, deity is vulnerable in the presence of Philip Jeffries, who very well may be the dreamer himself. We don't know who the dreamer is. Maybe Jeffries is the dreamer. Well, see, that's the, you just, you laid that last part in and it kind of seemed a little flawed to me. <laughs> How could Bob be at the mercy or at the humbleness of Philip Jeffries? That, that, that line right there just made me go, God, the, Bob can't be inside of him. He just can't. Well, I, I don't Bob was obviously, if you look at the, um, the convenience store scene in, Firewalk with me. It was very ritualistic about the ring, and it seemed like the man from another place was the ringleader, uh, pun intended there. And Bob played this part, and Bob has the fury of his own momentum, like he can't be stopped, so to speak. But at the end of Firewalk with me, after Leland kills Laura, he goes into the lodge, and Bob comes out of Leland, and there's the man from another place with the one armed man, presumably Mike asking for the Garmin Bozia, and Bob seemingly is unwilling to give it to him, but he does. And we see that close-up shot of the man from another place eating the cream corn. So that whole cycle, I think, had its like ending where the one-armed man was able to get all the pain and suffering from Bob. So Bob isn't the, the, the number one you know, MVP evil spirit, in my opinion, of the Black Lodge. He is under... I wouldn't say control, but I think that he is susceptible or vulnerable to um, at least the, the, the one-armed man, Mike, who I think is playing a role in this narrative here with Mr. C. Do you think so it's maybe that, Mr. Monkey Wrench? 
Do you think, <laughs> well, that's duly noted, but do you think his like baby clock is ticking and that maybe that's why he didn't kill little Dickie Horn because he wants to raise a son finally? He's had enough of his freewheeling days. What's well, a good segue into the Audrey thing because I'd like to talk about that. <laughs> there is, yeah, there is something going on. Wait, wait, one before, one, one before we leave the lodge or the convenience store, like we, everybody's been talking about the drool and all the oil bloody shit on Stuart Strauss, city number one's chest, right? And, uh, and then tying into Billy. Uh, is that is that going to be a tie-in? Do you think? Are we going to see that 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 visual is going to mean that somehow Billy's going to be activated and attack Nido as a woodsman? I don't think. Yeah, I don't think the drunk. That's how he's listed in the credits in the jail cell. Is Billy? I don't even think that scorched engine oil coming out of his mouth. I know I'm in the minority here. I think it's blood. I thought it was urine on the floor, but some people have, have pointed out that it looked it didn't look like urine. It looked like kind of like oil or some kind of some kind of oil-like substance. I don't think this is a significant character. I could be completely wrong. Um, I don't think that he's a lodge spirit. I don't think he's Billy. Um, I don't think it's tied into uh, Sooty Number One with his you know stained shirt. Uh, I think that it's may admit that his presence in the the jail scenes at the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Department is just adding another dynamic to that scene um, of just surrealism with Chad and and Naido and now James and and Freddie. So I could be wrong. I think I, I'm not trying. There's some things that I think are making sense with the Roadhouse scene with uh, and Audrey with the mention of these characters and Billy maybe being the farmer and being connected to the the honking woman outside of the double R, the uncle, all these things here. But I don't think it's going to be tied up in this ni- nice little uh, little package here. And I don't think he's Billy. I, I, I would presume that we're not going to find out who Billy is. I don't think it's on par of Judy, uh, like who his, you know, uh, Billy's role in this narrative. Um, I think what's most important in that narrative is what is Audrey going through? Where is she? Why is she in this scenario? What does it represent? Will she be able to break through the threshold? And I don't think Billy's the key to that. Uh, yeah, I'm just really struck by those five people in that fucking jail yeah. cell. And I think like they all five of them could be transported to some other world. You know what I mean? Like I think somehow like that f- those five are going to be involved in some pivotal scene in the next few episodes. Um, and that, you know, maybe we're waiting for, okay, something might kick in the door and try to get Naida or come in from another portal and try to end it somehow. Our buddy uh, Sykes is going to, with the, with the, the, the super hey fist is going to save her. Well, maybe the bad guy is going to come from within the jail cell itself. And I was thinking maybe it could come from, that guy yeah no i i because i really like that actor dude he's fucking he's a young dude i'd love that character like <laughs> i can't stop what i love those scenes i love him i think it's great so i want him to be more than just uh you know weird window dressing. no i agree i think it's a it's a great those two scenes with him they're fantastic and he's such a interesting somewhat mysterious character i just for me personally i don't think it's uh it's a super, super important character and that I've never really, just because he's bleeding or seemingly bleeding out of, out of his mouth, that he might represent Billy. Um, uh, I, I think I, I posited that, and I'm not going to go into this, but uh, there's one interesting scene in Firewalk With Me, The Missing Pieces, if anyone's seen that, of uh, Annie Blackburn being wheeled into the Twin Peaks uh, hospital after her sojourn into the Black Lodge. And uh, she is bleeding from the nose and mouth. And we know from the missing pieces that she had the owl cave ring. So she was marked somehow. Now, her narrative is not come to you know light in the new series other than a mention from from the missing pages but i tried to put together this whole theory and i I told this i talked to murphy about this a little bit beforehand um being connected to audrey because in the original twin peaks series audrey and cooper were supposed to have this romance and it was supposed to lead to audrey going into the black lodge being kidnapped by Wyndham earl and being the victim and it makes sense if you look at some of the scenes when she's in one-eyed jacks and she's calling cooper and she's framed in front of the red drapes and then cooper's you know he's uh, superimposed or uh, into the red uh, in the red drapes um at the end of episode 14 um after leland kills maddie it was all this great like symbolism i think it was built into the narrative and it never came to pass but um that's what I was tr- I was trying to connect the dots with that but I just don't think that uh, there's enough meat on the bone so to speak but uh, um, the 
Well, I like the idea. You just mentioned the whole thing with Heather Graham coming into the hospital with her mouth and nose bleeding. Everybody's doing that, right? Even the crazy girl in the vomiting up blood with her crazy aunt screaming. There's all kinds of zombie people walking around Twin Peaks, just like the drunk uh, Billy, whatever you want to call him. And that, you know, maybe ties into the fact that not just Billy would have some like the the woodsman or maybe they got the bugs and everybody. I don't know. But it seems like there's obviously visual clues. They're trying to make us put those pieces together. And I guess maybe I just want a Twin Peaks zombie apocalypse to happen. (laughs) Well, there's going to be some kind of climax. I mean, I think that there's going to be the shit's going to go down in Twin Peaks. Now, how it's going to unfold, we don't know. I think the key location or at least the uh, initial location is going to be related to the electrical pole, the number six, which we think might be at the new Fat Trot trailer park, or at least nearby. And uh, obviously, we know that electricity, the spirits travel via electricity. And uh, the clues that Andy was given from the firemen um, leaded, uh, led up to that image. That was the final image. So I think that Naito in the jail cell, like you said, and the shit going down there with James and Freddie and, and what his destiny, I don't think his destiny was, you know, to punching out those two guys at the roadhouse. It very well might be in that jail cell, like something or someone coming for Naito, um, who, who may or may not be Judy. I'm now starting to think that she's not Judy. Um, but, uh, oh, that leads into something. I want to just digress here briefly. Um, this is something else Murphy and I talked about briefly is in part three. When uh, Cooper saw the floating head of Major Briggs after Naido, you know, fell and uh, disappeared into the void, ultimately to land in Twin Peaks. But Major Briggs said Blue Rose. And we know we found out a lot about Blue Rose in in this series. And uh, it's interesting, but uh, Cooper knows of Blue Rose and uh, it could be something, you know, that that's going to connect maybe a little bit later on the next in this next three hours. But I thought it would be even more interesting if instead of Blue Rose, if he would have said Judy, now that we've had the Judy and I'll, I'll just rephrase that Judy, if he said Judy at that point, because some people are speculating that. Uh, Major Briggs might be Judy. His name is Garland, Judy Garland Briggs. It might be a code name for him. But if Cooper got that clue at that point instead of a blue rose, and if Mr. C is trying to uncover the identity of Judy, and once Cooper regains his identity, which we think is going to happen in this next episode, because he basically shocked himself either into you know some kind of state, we're seemingly hopefully back to Cooper. That having that knowledge of Judy from Briggs's mention with Mister C, I, I, it would have heightened the, the 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 drama or the conflict, in my opinion, instead of just the the, the mysterious Blue Rose. Uh, it would have been better if he actually told him who Judy was, because he's still would just be in the same place he is now. <laughs> right. We've been waiting. None of us know who's Judy. Who's Judy? Who's mother? What the fuck? It all points back to Twin Peaks. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. And almost like, I, I think you and I are talking about this, but it's like, at this point, like speculation is almost futile. <laughs> and I just kind of want to sit back and, and let this wash over me. Although I have so many questions. I know that like any speculation at this point, cause you know, they're pulling out the big guns oh. now. You know what I mean? Like they're putting, there's, this is the shit like that we're about to see that like was, you know, a, a giant, huge foundation of why they came back. Like they came back to tell the story because of what we're about to see. Probably I would think. I don't think they're going to end it like uh, flat. So, boy, I have no idea what's going on. Well, yeah, no. I mean, but uh, speculating is our job, my friend. That's why we're here. It's uh, it's fun to to, to speculate on what may uh, uh, be happening. But we're never right, are we? I think think Audrey's storyline is what sends me down the rabbit hole the most. You know what I mean? That's when I feel like we're in some sort of existential hell, just even spending hours thinking about it. You know what I mean? (laughs) We've been trapped into it. I think, like, Audrey could open that door and end up being in, like, the... The convenience stores like Firewalk with me, like Hell's Gate, like she's like already got a room. Well, that's what I was trying to trying to for me, the idea of her being in a coma or some kind of like, you know, scenario, this uh, role playing with the Charlie being a shrink isn't very interesting to me. But I can't really wrap my head around what it may be um, if if that those two uh, examples aren't true. And the only thing that would really be very interesting is if it had something to do with um, our narrative with the, the the Black Lodge, portals, vortexes, something. That's why I try to wrap it in with the Annie narrative and uh, her being in a coma 
from uh, um, you know Doc uh, Hayward's um, uh, Skype session with, with Frank Truman that mention, and then Cooper going into her room. I mean, there was a reason why that line was uh, was uh, written into the script is because it even it it, 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 it I mean it ultimately will uh, kind of be revealed that Dickie Horn was conceived, which I hate to really kind of think that uh, Cooper or Mr. C pulled a Frank Booth. And on top of uh, a coma, comatose Audrey Horn and impregnated her. But uh, I, I don't know. I just think there was a very good reason why that line was was said. And I would hope maybe that Audrey is somehow, uh, you know, whatever she's going through is something otherworldly as opposed to something very like soap operatic, like a coma or some kind of like weird dream state. Well, it seems like we're going to get more of her, though, because I think something on Australian television, they leaked a still of the next episode. and It's a still of her, right? <laughs> so she's still in it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that I think that's the one perplexing storyline right now that's got me like feeling like I'm, I've got a room in the convenience store just completely baffled by that. So I have no idea. Like, it seemed like that second time we saw her, we got all kinds of compelling clues. But the third one, the, it's like I'm just getting more and more confused the further we go. Well, that's Even when she gets outside, I'll be more enlightened. Yeah. I think she's going to get beyond the threshold. I don't think that. I mean, I I don't think that place is real. I don't think Charlie is real. I don't think that room. It's very antiquated. I don't think it's a real um, uh, setting. So it's either in her imagination or she's trapped in like some kind of other dimension, which I don't think is 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 true either. It would be more interesting, but I don't know what to think about it. But it is tied to the Roadhouse somehow with I think those characters. Or the characters, uh, or the the people referenced by those characters, and what the uh, Ruby character at the end of part. And I, I want you to talk about this when she gets on the floor and, and screams. That could somehow maybe I, 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 be tied into Audrey, like some could make kind of internal struggle, scream of trying to like wake up. And we saw her try to strangle Charlie, but you saw something else. I don't know if it was on Twitter or Facebook or YouTube or something, but tell, tell, uh, tell the, uh, the listeners what you came up with. Well, I didn't come up I with mean, that. I think a saw, lot of people yeah. are looking at it. It's the comparison of the two scenes, the Doug Eaton cake scene and discovering uh, the Gordon Cole and going and shocking himself, tie, syncing it completely with Charlene Yee uh, crawling across the, the floor. And it matches up perfectly. Like, it's really uh, – it was very compelling. I couldn't stop watching it, actually. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, how could they even <laughs> expect us viewers to <laughs> be able to go back and do that? But, of course, we did. I don't know who said, like, you know what? What if we tied? Because I guess they're crawling on the floor, which was the synchronicity there. But it seemed like it was, as soon as he heard uh, the Gordon Cole and his eyes lit up, then she starts to activate on the floor. She was sitting there like a Zen, just sitting there, not moving. Then she starts to activate, and as he starts to progress, she starts to progress perfectly. And as soon as she sticks in that fucking uh, fork into the light socket, she, she starts screaming like crazy. And I was like, dude, that is really... Uh, if that is a happy accident, that's the happy accident of two masters, like just pulling out something because it was so precise. It's amazing to me that that could only be a coincidence. Well, yeah, no, I, I, I watched it. Probably is, but yeah. boy, wow. I was like, well, someone did also a comparison, I think in part two and three with Cooper, his journey, um, out of the lodge and into the glass box. And I think ultimately into the purple room with the actual glass box monster. And they were, they synced it up and I can't remember what, you know, the big dramatic reveal was, but apparently it was something, but you very, I mean, we very well, uh, very well may have other instances where scenes are, you know, mirror each other in some way. Cause I think we're going to be speculating on this series for like years to come. I don't think we're going to have everything like wrapped up very neatly. Uh, but I, I did see you sent me that link and it was, I mean, you could, t I mean, there's obviously something there, whether that was intentional or not, but we also know about, you know, other instances say like, you know, the, I think one of the most famous examples is, uh, the the opening of the Wizard of Oz with the uh, dark side of the moon like sinking up and I don't think that Pink Floyd actually deliberately did that but <laughs> they didn't <laughs> how could they do that in 1970 what two how could they get a copy of that and actually perform their magnum opus to that the movie there was no VCRs. Maybe one of them saw the movie 500 times and they just had to totally beat it down. Perfect beats in their head. They just knew how to do well, that. one thing I wanted to mention with Audrey. Take a lot of acid one day. And that. Yeah. But um, the one thing with Audrey uh, I want to mention, and I, I posted this on Twitter, that um, Sunset Boulevard played a key role in part uh, 14 when uh, Cooper 
uh, turned on the uh, TV and he saw the scene with Norma Desmond and uh, Cecil B. DeMille. Uh, and Cecil B. DeMille mentioned Gordon Cole, which kind of, you know, uh, you know, uh, that mention of, uh, of Cole's name kind of like caused Cooper to, to, to snap too and ultimately go to the, uh, the socket, wall socket and stick the fork in. But there's also, we know that Sunset Boulevard is one of Lynch's favorite films, if not favorite film. And the Norma Desmond character is this silent movie star whose uh, best days are long gone, and she's really kind of trapped or imprisoned or self-imposed exile within this mansion with her manservant. And we could maybe draw some parallels with Charlie and Audrey, but there's a line that the main character, Joe Gillis, played by uh, a William Holden, says about Norma Desmond. And he says, the plain fact was she was afraid of that world outside, afraid it would remind her that time had passed. Now, I, I, I don't, I'm not saying that's exactly what's going on with Audrey. But I think it, you know, very well, there might be like uh, something with that line that, you know, Audrey was this, you know, beautiful, young, bright, uh, mischievous woman who had the whole, you know, world at her fingertips and her future was so bright. Obviously, something major happened. We know that she was at the bank when it exploded and she went into a coma. Um, Her, you know, love of Agent Cooper, that uh, wilted. Uh, during the original series, her next true love was uh, uh, Jack uh, Justice Jack, and uh, he deflowered her, and then got on his jet and, and left. He very well may be a little Dickie Horn's father. We don't know, but uh, she obviously just traumatic moments happened to her. But if she is in this dream state, uh, alternate reality, what have you, maybe one of the reasons why she doesn't want to you know, go through the the door, leave the, you know, walk through the threshold is because of the memories like of her, of the past, of who she was, of, of what, you know, the, the hope that has diminished uh, the future that was to be that, that isn't. Um, but I do really do. I really do believe that she is going to have some kind of redemption, her character at some point in these next three hours. I think it's building to something. I still think it'll be a little mysterious. I don't think it's going to be all, uh, uh, you know, apparent, but uh, I do think that it's it's building to, to something, and it's one of the most intriguing aspects of of the series. It came so late in in the narrative, but for me, it's one of the most compelling uh, plot threads, um, especially these last few episodes. Uh, you know, don't you think like Cheryl Lee sitting at home going like, wasn't I supposed to get that airtime? Like, what the fuck? Thank going you on for here? mentioning <laughs> Cheryl Lee. Oh, oh she's coming, my friend. She's coming. Yeah. Well, what, come on. Really? Are we sure? Yeah. Okay. So here's another thing. Now I'm like, like I'm Mr. Movie Guy, right? Well, you're Mr. Movie Guy too, but um, I like to draw certain parallels. In the original series, there were so many references to uh, films and TV uh, the name Laura, Laura Palmer, was taken from the great 1944 movie starring Gene Turney, um, Laura. And I think one of the characters, the, the baddie in that film, was was the actor, was the character, because it's Clifton Webb. Waldo Lydecker. Waldo Lydecker yeah, it was, was Clifton Webb was the actor, right? Yeah, so, and then there was Walter Naff, who was a reference to Double Indemnity. But the big reference that I want to make is of Madeline Ferguson, uh, you know, Laura's cousin. Those two names, Madeline and Ferguson, are taken from Vertigo. And uh, the Maddie character was played by Kim Novak, Madeline. And Ferguson is the name of the uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart character, his last name. But uh, in Vertigo, the Kim Novak character plays a dual roles as Madeline, was it? El Elster, yeah, Madeline and then Elster, she yeah. plays Judy Barton. That's her second character. So I'm not saying they're going this whole like route with Vertigo. I'm not saying that you know they're they're doing what you know maybe was intended to do. They intended to do in the original series with the Maddie character. But I strongly suspect, and I think I'm in the minority again, that Laura is Judy, and Judy is uh, kind of represents what Cooper's going through his Dougie. Like, I think that Laura, like we know in the lodge that time is nebulous. Is it future? Is it past? I don't necessarily think that when she was taken out of the lodge in part two, 
that she, if she did return to Earth, that it was like, say, September 22nd of this year, where our narrative is unfolding. It could have been at any particular point. We know Judy was referenced in Firewalk with me and with, with Bowie's character, Philip Jeffries, and that took place in 1989. So I'm speculating that Laura Palmer represents Judy. Now, whether she um, knows that she's Laura Palmer or thinks that she's Judy or thinks she's Laura Palmer, I don't know. And I know there's not a lot of time left in the narrative to kind of go into this, but there aren't really a lot of characters who uh, Judy could be. I mean, Major Briggs, Naido, there could be a curveball with Sarah, the little girl from uh, the New Mexico scene in part eight. Um, I saw someone speculate Lucy could be uh, Judy. Um yeah, someone <laughs> someone did the old Mark Frost secret history of Twin Peaks. Remember Fear the Double? That the whole those books. So yeah. if you take three of the books, there so there's these books in uh in the bookhouse. That each bookhouse boy has like a recommendation of a book. And there were uh titles uh uh and if you held a, like a mirror up to certain titles with certain numbers, it that you got a, a message that's in fear the double. Which could be a uh, you know reference to to Mr. C. Someone took Lucy and Judy and held the two names, put a mirror up to I think both of them, or put the mirror up to Lucy, and it, somehow it came out Judy. Now, I don't know if this person was making it up or not, but um, I laughed it off. I, I certainly don't. No, when you reverse the letters, the L, the L looks like a J, and the U and the D and the Y are the same, whether they're reversed or not. Oh, okay. So, well, I just thought it was uh, yeah, yeah it's it. kind of interesting. I don't think it's true, <laughs> like but point. yeah. <laughs> Hey, maybe we'll never find out. Maybe it's not even a person. Maybe it's like some sort of spirit. Maybe it's a monkey. We still haven't got a monkey yet. Yeah, maybe it's a monkey. Well, see the whole Naido thing that's doing all true. the monkey chirping. That makes you really think maybe that's that's well, hey, her. let's talk about So she can like she get a birth into something else. She's gonna pull those eyeballs off and you know, kill everybody with her glorious like white lodge eyeball like stream. Like something's going power. on with Naido. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I think that she represents um I think uh, the key to uh, Cooper's return, because I think that Cooper was supposed to come back um, into Twin Peaks, either through Electrical Porter, Portal 15 um, originally, or through the Black Lodge, which I think was, which I actually think is true, at 2.53, when all hell broke loose, and then he went, he went on his uh, psychedelic journey. And Naida wasn't supposed to be there. It could very well be that when Briggs uh, delivered that message or wrote that message, um, to Bobby Truman and Hawk to show up at the place near Jack Rabbit's palace that he thought maybe it would be Cooper there because we know when he ascended in the vortex at the zone or in the zone that uh, when his head you know came away from his body he said Cooper Cooper and then you know presumably his head went to the astral plane and told you know gave Cooper the message of the blue rose but it very well could have been Cooper that was intended to be at that location near Jack Rabbit's palace. And Naido wasn't supposed to be there. So whatever role she's playing there, I think is integral in Cooper's eventual return to Twin Peaks. Whether that's with as Mr. C or not, we don't know. That ties into my theory that he should have jumped after. I know, right? Too, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what major, some major Briggs' floating head was probably somewhere, like watching him not jump and just kind of shaking his head in sadness. because. <laughs> That's true. I would have loved to see that outtake of the the, the Major Briggs head, like shaking his head, going, Cooper, Cooper. Do you think at the best we'll come back and if we ever see Cooper again, he'll be the same type of Cooper? Or will if we come back and we see Cooper like shocked into, he'll be like an enlightened Cooper that would not, that would then know how to make, uh, learn from those mistakes that he's made in the past in the lodge and. Yeah, I don't know. It's a very good question. I don't know what his, uh, you know, his uh, demeanor, his demeanor, his uh, personality. I don't. I certainly don't think it's going to be the Cooper of the original series. I think there's just too much that's happened, and I still really strongly suspect that there's going to be a merging of the two, and uh, between obviously Mr. C and 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 Cooper, and that struggle is going to take place within. We've already, or you've kind of posited that um, the driving scene of Mr. C entering we, what we think is Twin Peaks very well may be Mr. C or the merge, the merging of, of the two. And I think with only three hours to go, I think you very well may be right because I think in part 16 that Cooper in Dougie land is going to be in a hospital. I think that 
Uh, Naomi Watts, Janie E. took Cooper to the hospital. I don't think he's dead. I don't think he's dying. I just think that, you know, that's a normal reaction. He was probably passed out on the floor. And I think that Chantal and or Hutch, and or Chantal and Hutch might show up at the hospital too. And the shit is going to go down. Sup- In like orderly outfits, like just as orderlies. <laughs> Who the hell knows? Candy stripers, just like she's eating like all the candy off the candy striping. Thing she's holding and just pulls out again. But I think that uh, now we know that uh, I can see her being a red vines girl. She could be Chantal. She's a yeah. Red but vine. don't you think that with if Janie E does take uh, Cooper to the hospital, that the FBI uh, in Vegas will somehow catch wind of a Douglas Jones and a Janie E at the hospital and go and investigate or somehow, you know, be clued in and find out and then call in Team Blue Rose and everything's kind of going to converge on Vegas? Uh, well, that would be the logical solution. Never but does, it hasn't, right? obviously. We've been waiting for that. For, they've been hanging around the uh, Buckhorn <laughs> dreaming, having caught, like, they're just like not even interested in being too expedient. So who knows? I always think that like in a weird way, they're just not going to get there because they've obviously been jacking around. They'll never get there and Coop will just fly the coop on them again. That maybe like Cole will never end up in Twin Peaks. I'm getting that feeling somehow. The FBI may not even get there. It's possible, right? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, we only have three hours to go, and Mr. C is still not in. I mean, our two main, our protagonist and antagonist, have not arrived in Twin Peaks. Laura Palmer, we've been hoping that she would return at some point, still hasn't shown up. So we. She's been returning every episode in the credits. In the beginning, the opening credits and the end credits. You see her name, you see her face. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it was great to have that scene with Big Ed and Norma. I, I wonder if that's the last scene of those two characters. I, I kind of, I mean, I kind of hope it is because it was such a great scene, so emotional that I, I, I mean, even if there's going to be, you know, kind of this post-coital bliss or post-marriage, maybe they, you know, elope and get married. But I, I, I just, I think that for me, I would love that scene to be the final Big Ed and Norma scene because it was just so perfect yeah yeah like maybe maybe just have them just like kind of like uh necking in the back like in the background of scenes right. like from now on. you seem pissing in the background yeah. that's but, it but uh yeah. maybe i think nadine could show up with dr amp and some weird shovel necessary lodging you know fight uh, against evil somehow i think those well, what do you think the, the title no knock no doorbell what what is that what do you think about that Dude, that's really compelling. It goes back to that scene where Tammy tried to grab the doorknob at the Buckhorn where after, after Koopa just or uh, Gola had just seen Laura's image and the doorknob fucking moved. Uh, so, dude, I don't know, but that one has always been a very compelling because it doesn't seem like a human being would say that. No, do- like no knock, no doorbell sounds like something coming from someone well, weird. Well, okay, so um, you would think that hypothetically if someone came to a door that if there wasn't a, a doorbell – but, you know, okay, so no doorbell there. Someone could say no doorbell, but like a knock, it would be a knocker, right? A, a knocker. Isn't that the name? Like a, like a, 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 it's not a knock on a door. It's called a knocker, which knocks. So you would think that if someone came to a door and it didn't have um, any way to, you know, communicate with anyone other than pounding on the door, you would say no knocker, no doorbell, right? Instead of no knock, no doorbell. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Knocker would not be a word I would probably, I'd probably use some other sentence as a writer <laughs> to communicate what I'm trying to say. Well, I'm just trying to think. <laughs> knocker would not be, knockers in that word. Well, I'm that just trying to say that if someone can, like, if someone's going to investigate, whether it's like, you know, Team Blue Rose is going to some location and uh, there's this door and they look at it and there's, there's no doorbell and there's no knock or knocker, that that could very well be the line that, okay, whatever's beyond this door is very mysterious. Um because obviously, I think it's it's in reference to some kind of location, some mysterious location. And I don't think it's necessarily a, a lodge um, location, but uh, it could be. I mean, who the hell knows what it could be? I don't think it could be a message from the giant again, the fireman. I don't so. think he's going to show up until the, either the 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 second. Well, the the finale is going to be two hours long, so they I guess they put two parts together. I, I don't think he's going to show up until the finale, whether it's the first hour or the second hour. My gut is we're not going to see the fireman in this next episode. My gut is that we're going to see uh, the one-armed man. I think that something with the um, Cooper storyline. I I mean I you know who the hell knows, but I think Vegas is wrapping up. I think 
Cooper being in the hospital with Chantal and Hutch. We talked about this, that, you know, the, the, the assassination attempt, uh, they very, very well could succeed. And Cooper goes on, continues his journey, you know, as a spirit or maybe as an agent of the White Lodge. But I think. You think Chantal's going to whack him? No, 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 no. We talked about that. I'm just, I'm just saying that the stuff that we've talked about. <laughs> what if it's going to be like a Inspector Clouseau cannonball run? They just get him in the ambulance and just drive him like a, like a bat out of hell to Twin Peaks. Is Doctor Van? That's how Dougie gets. Yeah, then they wheel him in. Yeah, get Doctor Van Helsing in the back, <laughs> and they just wheel him into the black lot. Wheel him into the old roadhouse because that's you know maybe he's in some sort of a distress. Because I think that if he's going to survive this, right, then uh, he's not going to be in too good of shape. But that kind of, I mean, right. I don't think sticking your isn't that the worst thing you can do? <laughs> get like eight million volts through your body. Maybe well, it like would, helped him. Can he get it? He's just fine. Wouldn't his hair be completely singed off? He look like a complete like Darth Vader. Like well, I mean, he could very well uh, be. I mean, like how how much? I mean, how lower of an IQ can you get? You know that he has right now, right? I mean, so I would assume maybe it has the reverse effect. <laughs> He'd just be in full like yeah Buddha status if he goes down to zero. He's well, just one thing zero. that I thought about with that socket and him sticking the fork in because I made. The connection to um, the unproduced uh, screenplay Ronnie Rocket that Lynch has been trying to get made for you know decades. He it was the it was the project that he wanted to produce right after Eraserhead, but he just could never get the funding. It was just too I think too much of a bizarre abstract storyline to get uh, proper funding because it was a big 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 story. I think he needed a lot of money to produce it. But the what, the character the titular character is um, a as uh, a dwarf. And he's got some physical deformities, and the way that he um, is able to um, to to live is to by plugging himself into like wall sockets to get juice from electricity, and he winds up being. Uh, this this rock and roll star, this legend, he plays in a band and they have to keep plugging him in to juice him up. And I'm not going to get too much into that storyline, but seeing Cooper go towards the wall socket. And I don't, he wasn't trying to go back into it because that's how he, 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 he emerged from it in part three. He was trying to, I'm not saying get juice, but maybe there was something within him, those little moments of Cooper that, that we've seen, these flashes, that he knew the only way to get back to how he is was to like you know, you know get juiced up with a bunch of voltage. I mean, obviously, there's a huge connection with him leaving the portal in the purple room and, you know, returning to our, our realm and now it coming full circle. So it was just another connection to Ronnie Rocket, you know, getting the juice. So I think it's not going to make him a drooling idiot. I think, and I'm not going to say he's going to wake up and say like, you know, damn good coffee or anything, you know, any Cooperism, but I think that he's going to be close to, to, to back, but I think he's going to go on another journey um, with the help of the one armed man, because I think that he's going to need, he's going to need to get caught up to speed on what's going on because he either needs to a find Laura or get his ass to Twin Peaks stat um, to have this ultimate, you know, tete a tete with, uh, with his, uh, his shadow self. Are you saying that he has to, if he's going to do that, then he has to die to go have his uh, one arm. No, no. I think that the one, are you still theorizing that he was going to die? I'm kind of like uh, going away from that a little bit. I'm trying to cover my tracks with that a little bit. It's a bad police work, Tom. (laughs) Yeah. Very bad police work, but uh, no. So, but I do think that he's, because he, Thought he was going to die. I think the last episode was an excellent possibility. He could die. He fucking stuck a goddamn oh, yeah. fork in a light yeah. socket. <laughs> I just That'll think that, you. You know, no, so I just think that the one armed man is playing like a crucial role behind the scenes um, with the uh, we thought you know with obviously we know with Cooper, but with this Jeffrey's narrative and with possibly Albert or Diane. I mean, I wanted to talk about Diane if if you're interested in, in going into her. A little storyline because I think this is the the episode part sixteen. This is we're going to get a big big Diane moment here. We're going to find out um, not exactly what's going on, but I think that we're going to like be able to connect a lot of the dots because I just watched part seven again, and when they were aboard the plane going to Buckhorn and Albert produced that photo of Mr. C outside of Rio, that great shot of, you know, Don Johnson uh, or or Kyle McLaughlin, Mr. C. Wasn't it really a postcard? It looked like a postcard, postcard. right? Yeah. Like, you know, wish you were here and uh, another Pink Floyd reference there. But um, uh, when Albert told Cole that when they investigated 
that place, which was owned by Mr. C, was no longer owned by him. It was owned by, now owned by some girl from Ipanema. It cut to Diane, who was listening to this, and she closed her eyes and had some kind, of, I wouldn't say a pained expression, but there was some memory. It, 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 some, it hearkened back to something. And she knows, I think she knew of that location. I'm not saying she was the girl from Ipanema that Albert was referencing, but that for me connected the dots that Diane and and who she thought was Cooper um, all those years um, that that she was receiving messages or in, in contact with him. I just don't think that she knew that he was um, the doppelganger. I just think that um, that came to 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 light when she actually saw him at the Yankton Federal Prison. So I think that we're going to get some kind of you know um, some kind of revelation with Diane in this episode. Do you think it's possible that Diane can somehow end up in Twin Peaks without the nope. rest of the gang? No, the FBI gang. No, I don't think she's going to make it to Twin Peaks. I think that. You- what if she's doing? <laughs> Hey, dude, all cards are on the table I, now, man. <laughs> no, I mean, that, hey, you know what? You're right. I guarantee you there's like LA Las Vegas bookmakers, there's like a 2% chance. Some of the people are betting on Judy. I'm betting on Diane as being Judy. Like there's a whole, I mean, this is like Laura Palmer. Who killed Laura Palmer? Like we could get the old like conspiracy. We could, yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, we don't know. I mean, it could be any one of the characters we mentioned. We might never know Judy's true identity. Well, think of this, like the mother, the dreamer, Judy, like all these different, we're, we're asked to figure who are all these people. What if they're all, they all have to be the same person, right? What do you mean they have to be the same person? I mean, are we going to get three reveals about who the mother, who Judy and who the dreamer are? And they're all three different characters. No, I don't think we're going to get definitive answers for any of that. I think that mother or whatever she represents has already uh, been... You know, I wouldn't say uh, revealed to us, but I think I think in a, in essence or in, in in a way, in a fashion, it has that mother represents um, the originator of this evil that came to during the uh, first atomic test, and whatever Mister C's intentions are, whether to be reunited or to somehow uh, reconnect with the experiment mother to somehow infiltrate the white lodge or, um, or remain in this realm without having to return to the, I mean, I have no idea what the hell is going on here, but I don't think that. I'd like to see some kind of manifestation of the three of them. Like, you know, the dreamer, Judy and Laura are in mother walk into a bar, (laughs) you know, and have some sort of action. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I just don't think it's going to be like, you know, we're going to get these definitive answers. Yes. Judy, put a face to mother. Oh, this is what, you know, she truly represents. And, uh, the dreamer, this is the person who's, you know, this is the dreamer. I don't think it's going to, I don't think we're going to get, you know, those answers. I think that the rabbit holes, um, we'll get some. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the, the mother, we got introduced to her the first episode and you thought, Oh gee, she could be like on a rampage coming. She's going to come get somebody at some point. And really she hasn't gotten anybody, you know, except for maybe, I guess Lillard, you could conceivably think that, he got his face eaten off a little bit like Mother, but there's no reckoning with Mother and Mr. C or Cooper, which is kind of what you thought might happen with that, you know, and the woodsman and the jumping man and Sora, Sarah and the mother <laughs> and Philip Jeffries and Judy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's all these, you're right. They're all rabbit holes. Yeah. And I don't think know? we're going to get answers to a lot of these mysteries. I think that's just, that's Lynch's intention. I think we're going to get some, I think the big reveal is going to be related to the uh, return of Cooper uh, and Mr. C's ultimate, uh, I wouldn't say demise, but I don't think he's going to be victorious. I don't think like it's going to you know be a mirror of the original series where evil triumphed. I mean, it possessed our hero, our knight. I think now this whole journey has been about Cooper's return um, to Agent Cooper and Mr. C, the doppelganger, being defeated somehow. Just like, you know, Leland was, you know, ultimately, de- I would say defeated, but, you know, Bob, I don't think, can ever be completely killed off. Bob is a spirit. Bob is not a physical entity. But I think Cooper's doppelganger can be defeated or at least return to the lodge where other doppelgangers, you know, reside, you know, albeit, you know, whether it be Leland, Maddie, um, you know, the, the Lois Duffies, um, Teresa Banks, anyone, all these people related to the ring and uh, these Blue Rose cases. So it's all very mysterious. I don't think we're going to get definitive answers. 
Well, I hope one thing happens, and I hope that, like you were saying, I hope Cooper somehow ascends to a higher status and he doesn't die, and that he has a positive outcome. Everything else can be leveled. <laughs> the rest of the town <laughs> can blow up in a nuclear explosion, but like if that can happen, because really, whatever Lynch is going to give us in Frost, hey, I'll eat it. It's going to be great. I know it's going to be great, and it could be completely baffling and confusing and unexplainable with your, your logical mind, but I know it's going to be wonderful, but that's one thing. I hope is that like, cause you know, Hey, I want a season four. Maybe I want Coop to come back and be able to, you know, fight again in season four and show everybody, you know, that they, he's got the coffee and the pie. If they just renew the, renew one more season or two. I was you thinking know, with, uh, so. you know, the, the ZZ top song in the last episode, sharp dressed man, which was completely out of left field and unexpected, but we found out, or at least I found out that Lynch is a huge <laughs> ZZ top fan, but with all of our references with that musical cue, no wonder he included the motifs right. into his work. But with that, you know, uh, scene, with all of our other scenes that we've had of Cherry Pie, I'm like, you know, where's the warrant Cherry Pie song at some point? You know, why didn't we, you know, throw that in there? <laughs> no one knows that, dude. That's such an early 90s, you know, say that doubt anybody knows who the fuck warrant Cherry Pie is unless you grew up in the late 80s, early 90s during that bad era where we had to listen to that shit. And I was actually a DJ uh, with my friend and we actually, we had that CD, we played it, that uh, people loved it. So, I think people uh, liked it. Do you have any final I think people thoughts? Like the, people like the video a lot more than they like the song, if you remember the, the video. Uh, yeah, I think well, I remember the cover of it. So yeah, cherry pie. I, I actually, you know, I have bought, I bought some cherry pie. I've got some cherry pie to eat this Sunday. I'm very excited to eat the cherry pie. And we got some, uh, some uh, vanilla ice cream a la mode. Uh, so I'm excited for Sunday, man. Do you have any last thoughts? Um, I, my, my last thought of tonight is, you know, just kind of burgeoning depression that, we after Sunday, we're only going to have one more weekend, two more hours of Twin Peaks, and uh, what are we going to do? Our lives are like our lives have been turned upside down by this series, and I'm gonna. I think it's going to be hard to, to let it go. Like even if it's the greatest ending ever, it's going to. It be- is, but uh, to give a little uh, clue to uh, our listeners out there, Murphy and I are not going to uh, let the fire die, the Twin Peaks fire die. We're going to continue to do podcasts. On Twin Peaks, what we're going to do, I think pretty much right off the bat, we're going to do a commentary of all 18 parts where we actually watch the show and comment on the 18 hours of Twin Peaks. So we're going to have 18 additional episodes in addition to other rabbit hole uh, podcasts where we discuss a myriad of theories and whatnot. Because I think that um, we're going to be speculating on this new series for years to come. And Murphy and I are committed We've been in the, the Twin Peaks world, loved Twin Peaks, loved David Lynch for decades. And even though this particular season is going to end, even if we don't get a season four, Murphy and I are going to keep the fire alight. So we hope you join us because we're going to keep talking and we're going to keep speculating because we love Twin Peaks. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So the fire will not go out, even though the series will hopefully temporarily. And then maybe they'll just go back into their labs for a couple of years and come back with another uh, 18 episodes like a couple of years from now. That'd be my dream. So <laughs> on that note, uh, we're super excited for Sunday. We'll talk to you then. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your comments, your ideas, all the great stuff you've been sending us on Twitter, Facebook, our Chopping Wood Pod. Uh, I think that's our the title of those two pages. And also you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud. Uh, all of def- a lot of other platforms I don't even understand but we'd love to get all your reviews and all that good stuff uh, until next time thanks for listening